0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: I want everybody to hear this, because it's it's a fact. If you have a heart for what God has a heart, if you put your hand to the plow to do a work for God, guaranteed, without fail, you're going to have warfare. They're gonna be adversaries. They're gonna be, there's gonna be, there's gonna be assaults on you for what you were doing. And it's just a fact. Don't run from it. Don't escape it. Don't look for it to not happen. Whenever you do the will of the Lord,
0: there will be opposition. When you make the choice to be obedient to the promptings of the Lord, the enemy of your soul hates it. He hates your willing obedience, and he hates that the work for the kingdom of God is being accomplished. He will do anything to get you to stop, but the Lord will always protect you. God and Satan are not equals. The Lord allows him what he's able to do, all for a greater purpose of accomplishing his will in your life and in the world. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: Proverbs 21 verse 1. God said, look, the king's heart is in my hand. I'm the one that directs the king what he's going to do. And I know for me it's been a real liberating truth to realize that there's never a person that's in authority over me because God is the authority over me. There may be people in position over me. There may be people that have a place but God is ultimately the authority, and so I can always look above other people's heads, right to the Lord. Amen. It means I don't have to succumb to pressures of other people. I just can look to the Lord. So he he prays to the God of heaven, asking him. You know, I believe asking what he should do with this opportunity. Um, and this is what he does afterwards. Verse five, he makes his request, and he he's going to ask for three things from verses. I'm going to read verses five through eight. And I'll just tell you up front, the three things he asked for, he's going to ask to be sent to rebuild. He's going to ask to be kept safe uh, on the journey. And he's going to ask for provision. Those are the three things that he's getting ready to ask for. And I, I just note the wisdom. That's everything he needs to see the walls rebuilt. First, I need permission to go. And not just to go, but to go, I'm going on a mission. I'm going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I need permission to go do that. Then I need you to give me protection because I can't just walk through some of this enemy territory. I need you to send me with people that are going to protect me on the journey. And I'm just a cupbearer, so I need provisions. And so if if, if it all goes well, this pagan king and his kingdom are going to pay for God's kingdoms to be rebuilt, Um, which is amazing if this goes through. This is the request that he's going to add. So now look at verse uh, five. It says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king... And if your servant is found favoring your sight, I ask that you, number one, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. That's the first request. Verse 6, then the king said to me, and it it notes the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And I want to point this out. The fact that it's noting this, that it's the king and the queen sitting next to him, they're comfortable with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not like just some out, they're comfortable with him. The king is there with his queen present, having this conversation with him. They're comfortable with Nehemiah. So the queen sitting beside him, and says, How long will your journey be? And when, when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set a time. Verse seven Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, this is the second request let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. So the king has to send him letters saying on on his name, let this guy have passage. Let him go through until he gets to Judah. And then number three, verse eight, and a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy and the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now, this is an amazing thing that he asked this king, right? He says, give me permission to go build. This is why that's a big request. Because Nehemiah had an important job. Who's going to be his cupbearer To Nehemiah gets back? They obviously trust him. He's obviously doing a great job. And letting him go meant for the king, I'm, I'm doing you a favor. I care about you. I'm letting you go and I'm putting myself at risk to do it. I got to bring someone else in, hope that I can trust them like I can trust you. That's why the first request is a big deal. And the king said, well, tell me how long you're going to be gone. Nehemiah set a date, doesn't tell us what it is yet, but he sets a time and he gets permission to go. After giving permission for the first thing, he has two more requests. He realizes that, look, I got to pass through area that's not going to be friendly everywhere, but the king has authority and power. So I need the king to give me some of his authority and power. Give me passage. That means he wants protection. I want I want permission to go. I want protection as I go. And he says, then, when I, I need timber. So I need you to tell the people that you get your wood from to give me enough wood to build the walls, beams to rebuild the city, a wood for the walls, and I'm going to build me a house to live in while I'm down there. I need some house to build me a house too. Um, now, this is what I think is so cool. Would you guys agree that that's a pretty, that's a well-thought-out plan of prayer? And it's possible that God gave that to him when he took a moment to say, Lord, what do I, what do I ask for? That The Lord may have just given him in that moment right there. Just don't, don't waste this opportunity, brother. Don't, 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 don't ask for the wrong thing. Don't ask for too little. This is what you need. Um, him asking God, I think he, he had the right request. He made the best of the opportunity that he had. And everything that he asked for, he got. It says, and the king granted them to me And notice that he says, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Nehemiah knows why the king is having favor upon him. It's because of the Lord. It's because of the good hand of his God upon him. So a few verses I would like you to write down. This is just in regard to our prayer life. In John 16, 23 and 24, it says, Jesus said, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, a lot of times people misunderstand these verses and they just tag their prayers within Jesus' name. Like I asked it in Jesus' name. Um, but can I tell you that it's more than that? It's not just, you can't ask for whatever you want and tag in Jesus' name. The fact that you're saying in Jesus' name, you're saying I'm, I'm asking this, I, this, I'm, I'm coming in line with Jesus, and I'm tapping into Jesus's authority. And so, when I say in Jesus' name, I'm saying in keeping with the will of Jesus, I'm asking for this. Um, and so, you can't ask for something in Jesus' name that's not His will. So, if you do, you go. Your prayer is going to hit the ceiling and you're going to be like, I, I, Some people think it's like saying "Abracadabra," you know, in Jesus' name, "Abracadabra," like that, like there. Uh, and that's that's not what it is. And so. Uh, another verse in James. James 4, three says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. James says, you ask and you don't get answers because you asking just for your own pleasures, your own stuff. You asking for the wrong stuff. Understand this about prayer. Prayer, the, the goal of prayer is not for you and me to get our will done on earth. Prayer is that God's will will be accomplished. So, the, our knowledge of the scriptures will, will greatly enhance our prayer life because my knowledge of the scriptures will inform me what God wants. Um, it will align my heart with what God wants. And then I begin to ask for things that God wants. Nehemiah knew that the walls were supposed to be rebuilt. It had been prophesied that they would be. Um, Daniel gave a prophecy about the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and. This is, you know, I, I didn't want to go into this. It's a, a really interesting prophetic nugget. If you're into that, if you're a note taker, you can write down Daniel 9, 25. And there it says, know therefore the, and, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build, rebuild Jerusalem, which just happened as he got permission to do it, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, uh, which is exactly one th- 173,880 days if you do the math. Um, from the time that that command went to the time that Jesus entered Jerusalem, that, that's the exact stretch of those days. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy exactly. So, so him just getting permission here to do something that Nehemiah knew this was God's will, and he was asking for what God wanted. And so that's something for you and me to consider, right? Are you praying? What are you praying about praying for that you know, I know God wants to do this? I know this thing that I'm asking God for, this thing that I'm, I'm giving the prayer, I know that I'm tapping into what God wants as I'm praying for this. Because a lot of times people use prayer. Prayer can be like our wish list. It can be like a kid's Christmas list. Lord, I want this. I want that. I want a better job, a nice car, a spouse, a better spouse, uh, you know, whatever. I want you to fix this, heal that, deliver this. And that's Prayer can be a whole list of things that we just want. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for lifting up our own requests, needs, and desires. Um, But if you remember that the goal of prayer is to get God's will done, that should permeate my prayer life. I should be praying about stuff that the kingdom cares about. I should be praying about things that have eternal weight to them. Things that God's like, oh yeah, I'm into that. I want want them to be saved too. I want doors to be opened there as well. I want to see the Lord, do a work there. I want to be, you know, I want to plan a work there as well. There are things that we can know intuitively. I know God would be into that right there. I can pray full of faith in Jesus name. Absolutely. He would want to do that. So we want to let that influence how we pray, how we come before the Lord. And then he got everything that he asked for. Everything he asked the king for, he got. And I would argue that he got something he didn't ask for. So we won't see it till chapter five, but we're going to see in chapter five that Nehemiah is made governor. of he, he, he didn't just get sent there. He gets he gets given a position. So he gets everything he asks for. And so that he could do the work there without fooling around with people. God gives him authority where he's going. And that reminds me of Ephesians three twenty, where it says now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or even that you could think of that you can imagine. Um, and, and that's what he's experiencing here. So moving on, let's keep going. Look at verse nine. It says, then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And so he didn't have no lightweight. You know, the king sent real deal with him. He got horsemen. And people from the army, captains from the army went. They escorted him where he was going. And now, verse 10, we kick in the gear. Something we're going to learn about throughout the book of Nehemiah. This is I want everybody to hear this because it's it's a fact. If you have a heart for what God has a heart for, if you put your hand to the plow to do a work for God, guaranteed, without fail, you're going to have warfare. They're going to be adversaries. They're going to be, there's going to be, there's going to be assaults on you for what you were doing. And it's just a fact. Don't run from it. Don't escape it. Don't look for it to not happen. It's a fact. And you need to also, I've learned to see it as almost something that's an indicator that I'm on the right track. I'm on to something, you know. Um, so many times when we're preparing for ministry, I, I think I can look at our lives, the rhythm of my family's life that we do ministry, and there'll be things that happen that are, I, I think they're intended to derail, to upset, to confuse, to whatever, you know. Um, but with each thing, there's an adversary, there's warfare, there's always Satan kicking up something to discourage us, to quit, make you quit. If I could instill something in you as people of God, when warfare kicks up, the one thing you don't ever want to do is quit. That's the the only way we lose is if we quit. And as believers, we've got to be committed to not. God, I'll do anything but quit. And there's there's got to be something in us as believers that we got to be fighters. If Satan can discourage you to where you quit, he wins. That's the only way he can defeat you is to make you stop. He can't physically stop you. He can't beat you. He cannot defeat you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But if he can trick you to quit, duh, I got you. That is the only way Satan can win. Trick you into not doing it. Trick you into not going forth. Anything God gives you to do that your flesh is afraid to do it, do it, especially do it. Do it anyway, because this is why. It'd be better to do something for God and fail miserably than to have Satan trick you into never knowing. Never knowing what God would have done. That's, that'll be worse. I'd rather step out in faith and just, I mean, I'm gonna just I'm going to shoot for the stars and we'll see what happens. And if I find out that this wasn't my thing, it's all good. Because look, I, I was doing it for God anyway. So if I fail for God, big deal. Amen. But what if you fail to move out because Satan tricked you? That's, that's the real travesty. There's no travesty in somebody trying to step out and do something for God and finding out maybe that's not their thing. It's something else. There's no problem. There's no shame in that. At least they were, at least they're making steps and attempts to do something for God. But war is guaranteed. So let's look at warfare. Um, And I'm going to, every time it it happens in Nehemiah, I'm going to highlight it because you're going to see this. The war starts and it just gets intensified. We're going to see two people mentioned initially, Samballot and Tobiah. But I want you to pay attention. Every time the warfare kicks up in Nehemiah, you're going to see that the enemies are growing versus just a couple of enemies. Then it's going to be some more enemies. Then this is for the enemies and they homies. I mean, it's going to be more and more and more the closer he gets to finishing what God gave him to do. And that's a, that's a lesson about warfare. If you're doing a work for God, it'll never be less. It'll only be more. And, it, it could, you know, I had, a, I had a pastor friend tell me that I was, I was sharing my woes of 2019 with a, a guy that I respect and that ministers in me. And after he got done encouraging me and praying for me, he says, well, he says, I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear, but it's to be true. He said, it'll never be less than this. It'll only be more. Uh, That's Pastor Tony Clark telling me to put on your big boy pants and and, uh, just suck it up. It'll never be less than this. So whatever it is right now, grow through it, get over it, get beyond it. It'll only be more. It'll only be greater. It'll only be bigger as you continue to go forward. Um, And it's good to know that so that, you know, you can prepare for bigger battles, bigger wars. God is still the one fighting the battles, though. Amen? First three words say it all. Everybody say it at the same time. One, two, three. Okay, that's important. It's the cause the warfare follows that. And this is what I want you to know. There was no warfare when he was thinking about doing the job. There was no warfare when he was contemplating doing a work for God. The warfare didn't kick on when he was, you know, planning to do a work for God. The warfare didn't kick up when he was asking for permission to do a work, the warfare didn't kick up when he was brainstorming and writing it out on paper. The warfare kicked up, those three words, then I went. Look for that. You can plan to do something for three years. Say it was like, go ahead. Because some people plan, 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 and they'll never do nothing. Say they ain't worried about what you're thinking about doing. He's not worried about what you're planning to do. He's not worried about what you're talking about doing. Some people talk about doing stuff for 10 years and they'll never do nothing. He's concerned for the people that are getting up and doing it. When it says that, then I went. And as soon as he got up and went, the enemy said, oh, I got to get up and stop him. The warfare kicked up when he went. I wanted want to point that out. So now look at verse 10. When Samballot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, heard of it, look at this. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. This is this, about this. They were deeply disturbed, deeply. I mean, they are bothered in a deep way that somebody cares about the condition of God's people. Deeply disturbed over this. And you need to understand this Satan is deeply disturbed when we get stirred up about what God cares about. That's why he provides so many distractions. Some of us are distracted with things that aren't sinful. That's what I think Christians get, get messed up on. There'll be things that are not sinful at all. They're just great distractions to keep Christians that should be living lives of purpose and focus to live lives of kind of mediocrity, where too many hours of your day, too much of your time, too much of the better part of your day is spent focusing on, thinking on things that God would say, I'm not mad at that. It just doesn't matter. I wish you were that passionate about this. I wish you were that passionate about that. I used to get mad, I stopped doing it, but I used to get mad when I, I would be guys. We have we get guys together in fellowship and you know, you have guys that get I mean, I mean, they don't know no Bible at all. And same guy can tell you every sports. They know, he know the teams, the roster, who's hurt, when they're coming back, who they might scout, how much the money cap, I mean, he know. He, know, he don't even work for the organization. He don't even have a stock in the organization. But he know everything about that and nothing about this. And I'm like, that's a that's misplaced focus. That doesn't matter at all. And I'm not mad at sports. I like sports like the next man. But that just seemed like quite a waste to me. If you know that much about this, you can't give a Bible study at home. You can't answer simple Bible questions. Um. I'm like, man, turn off the TV and the apps and the sports and channels. Open up the book. That's something's wrong to me about that, you know? And and that could be a number of areas. I don't know, ladies, you might know everything about the models or the dresses or the, I don't know what y'all are into. I've never been one of y'all, but y'all got y'all stuff too, you know? Let's just be mindful that Satan is wonderful about providing distractions so that we don't we don't get focused, we don't get honed in on, we don't, we don't become stirred and impassioned and, and excited about something that has kingdom purpose on it. So as he did, though, as Nehemiah's burden, his burden led him to pray, his prayer led him to the open door, the king asking him, what's wrong? The, the prayer, again, led him to ask for the right things. Um, God answered the prayer and giving him everything he wanted from the king and now as he's on his way to go do the work, these men, Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite are deeply disturbed that someone is seeking the well-being of the children of Israel. They're going to be coming against him constantly. Now look at verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me. I told no one. With my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. So he's getting ready to go spy out the land. Um, It's an interesting thing that he doesn't tell anybody what's in his heart yet. Um, Sometimes, sometimes that that might be necessary that, you know what, I don't want to, I'm this between me and the Lord right now. This isn't really something to talk to everybody about. Um, And I do think that there's times where, you know, there's a time to really get clarity from the Lord about what he's saying. What am I doing? Um, before you run and talk to too many people about it. This is what I have learned in my life. Even when you're talking to godly people sometimes, they haven't... Nehemiah's four months in praying on this thing. I don't know how much input I'm going to give someone that heard me today and they, they got a wild idea about what I should do. I've been praying for four months. I've been listening to God for months on this thing. So... I don't, know, I, don't know if this is, I don't know if this is a conversation for us to have. There's sometimes, this is important for leaders. As leaders, sometimes you need one voice. You don't need 10 confirmations and eight people to agree. You need to have, you need to have clarity from God because sometimes God will give you direction that ain't nobody else getting that. They're not burdened for this. Um, Nehemiah is the one that God gave the burden for this. I don't want to talk to people that don't share my burden about what I'm going to be doing. Uh, and I, I've, I've made that mistake before. Um, you know, realizing that you know, there are people that don't share my burden for things, and so, mean, you know, this is stuff I'm up at night praying about. I wake up thinking about these things. This is on my heart. I don't want to. I don't want to hear a whole lot of input from somebody who just. I'm just. They're just thinking out loud to me. You keep that. You know. I, I. Now we do. I value people in my life that pray with me. There are people that are listening and say, "I'm gonna pray for you, bro," and pray, and they'll pray with me and join me in prayer. But be careful about that. Because opinions are cheap and free, and they don't cost anything. There's no commitment there's there's no investment needed for someone to offer up their ten cent um and so as long as you know you're praying and listening, then what you're hearing from God is of the, of most value amen and so uh and and you I'm balancing that out with the fact that you know, in the multitude of of their safety and all of that, but uh, I do believe there are times where for leaders. Um, God is going to lead us in a way that there are times where definitely what God told me to do there was nobody else saying that's a good idea there there are times in my life where when God God told me to do I had no human being that stood with me but as I look back on it it was God's will for my life when God told me to leave the first church that I was at um, the pastor didn't agree my my friends in ministry were like no because they were selfishly wanting me to stay there with them my wife who only knew that kind of church didn't want to leave it I I didn't have one human being that was like, Bill, this is a good idea. But when I would get along with God, God was like, you better obey me.
0: You've been listening to a transforming word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of Nehemiah is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit calvaryinglewood.org and click on media or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. We'd love for you to join us for church this weekend too. Look on our website for the latest times and location for services. We are a group of people who love to learn from God's word and be together as a family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. As we look into the book of Nehemiah, keep in mind how this applies to you in your life right now. Nehemiah was an example of one man who had a huge impact on the nation of Israel. You may feel insignificant at the moment, but know that God can use you for his purposes in ways that you might not foresee. His way of leading and empowering others is something you can strive for in your spheres of influence. Never discount the things that God wants to teach you through his word. If you have felt the blessing of this ministry in your life, we'd love for you to partner with us in praying for those who would hear a transforming word. Many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. What an opportunity we have to share the good news of Jesus and his salvation. That's all the time we have for today. But thanks for tuning in to A Transforming Word.